Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is having a fabulous time at the moment. Fabulous, warm summer nights. Or mornings. Hello. <laughs> it might not be by the time this podcast goes out to <laughs> Who knows what the weather's going to be like in the future. <laughs> well, it's witchcraft, so who knows? Yes, very true. So, yeah, we are here to discuss Season of the Witch, which is not really what this film should be titled, but we'll get to that point. Had either of you two heard of this film? Is this something new to you? Have you seen it before? Or I just, I'd, I'd heard of it, and um, I'd, I'm familiar with the artwork. I don't know how, but I know... It's in this time period of Casey's career, and that's all I knew going into it. <laughs> Stu, did you know about this one? I'd seen the poster with Cage with that hair and holding a sword, and I couldn't wait to get to this film. <laughs> well, I mean, like, first of all, I was wondering if it was going to be somehow related to the Halloween 3 film of the same name, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, but there's absolutely no links at all. I don't know why they chose the name Season of the Witch, especially because as we get into the film, it's not really about witches. So it's a bit of a seasons. Or seasons, yeah. (laughs) So as you look at the cast, we've got some Perlman action, which I do like a bit of Ron Perlman, I've got to be honest. Uh, but kind of like Nick Cage, he can be as much miss as he is hit. Claire Foy, who is a proper actor, like she's BAFTA-nominated, Emmy Award-winning, but this was her first film role. Stephen Graham, big fan of Stephen Graham in general. Like I feel he's the modern-day Pete Postlethwaite. I think he's a really, really good character actor. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lee, legend. And we've got Robert Sheehan. Um, and as a fan of, of the Umbrella Academy, like I was quite looking forward to seeing his early days. Stu, what do you think of that cast? Other than the last one, um, it's way too good for this film. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I don't know who he, I've never seen the Umbrella Academy. Amazingly enough, but yeah, the others. Oh, you'd like that? I know. But it's been. It's as we've discussed many times. The, uh, the ever-growing Netflix list is is there <laughs> for a reason. And it's it's an original, so it's ain't going to get took down anytime soon. Yeah, so true. I will get around to it eventually. But yeah, incredible cast. I don't know how, again. I don't know how this has happened, but it kind of <laughs> it makes you think oh, that there's a bit of money spent. I don't know. We'll come to that later. But it makes you think there must have been a bit of a decent budget on this mm. for the talent that they managed to attract. Yeah, Matt, are you a fan of uh, Hellboy? Uh, yeah, so I'm not a. I'm I'm a fan of like the the, uh, the world of Hellboy and and kind of the the themes and and what it's about. But I'm not Ron Perlman's biggest fan, if I'm mm. honest. But I and I and I and I say this because I really you'd think with my hobbies and musical choices and things that I'd love Sons of Anarchy, but it's it's dreadful, and he <laughs> he plays a big part of why it is dreadful for me. That um, is a hot take and a half. 
So, yeah, well, yeah, there we go. That's what we're all about. But yeah, Ron, I, I can, I can give, I can take it or leave it with Ron Perlman. To be honest, mm, that's fair. Like I said, I think when he's good, I think he's really good. But when he's bad, like he may as well not be there. Like he properly phones it in at times. Mm. Mm. Uh, the director on this film, it is the second film that we've done by Dominic Cena. I think it is S. E-N-A, rather than the John Cena way of spelling him. Um, he is the guy who did another Cage shambles, gone in 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like, that did not give me any hope going into this film, knowing he was uh, the man behind it. Obviously, previously mentioned, he was mostly known for doing music videos until California in 93. California spelled the K for some reason, which is a Duchovny film. Then he did Gone in 60 Seconds, Swordfish, 13 Graves, <gasps> Whiteout, and then Season of the Witch. And then 10 years later, we've seen nothing else from him. Like, that tells a story in itself, I think. I like all in films, though. <laughs> the terrible, terrible films. White, I, I'm sure I talked about White when we talked about Gone in 60 Seconds, but it's a, it's a film that no one's ever heard of or seen. For good reason. No. You watch that at Christmas when it's snowing outside, terrify you. <laughs> right, so IMDb describes this film as 14th century knights transport a suspected witch to a monastery where monks deduce her powers could be the source of the Black Plague. We've come a long way, my friend. Across oceans, deserts. Seen things few men have seen. A few are still will believe. The end is in sight. opens with a man telling a group of women that they have been found guilty of witchcraft. If they want to save their souls, they should repent and admit to being a witch. Whilst one of them does admit to signing a deal with the devil, another tells the man, your soul will burn. All three are hanged and then drown in the water below. The man says he needs to read some passage to ensure that they do not rise again. The hound tells them that they are already dead. (laughs) Nighttime falls, the man pulls the two women back out of the water, reads some spell, 
the one awakens and then immediately dies. The other one doesn't. And then as he tries to pull up the third one, he gets pulled into the water and attacked by a terrible CGI witch. Really awful. <laughs> we cut to daytime. It's the Crusades. Hellboy and Ghost Rider take a bet on whoever will kill the most people. We'll be buying the drinks tonight. I thought that um, the visuals in this, like during the Crusades, I thought it was a really striking visuals. I thought it looked really good. Maybe not wholly appropriate because the Christians were dressed all in white. And they were all white people. And all of the locals tended to be brown skinned, <clears throat> dressed in red. Like it felt a little reductive painting the Crusaders as the good guys and the infidels, quote unquote, as evil. Mm. What did we think of the... Um, the, the Crusades, not in general, in this film. Until <laughs> <laughs> well, <till> we die. <laughs> but I think just that the racing, it, it is what it was. So there ain't mm. much they could do about that, really, for, for realism purposes. <laughs> but it was better than it was better than it could have been. It could have been a lot worse. Let's put it that way. Um, could but, it? I mean. We were following our heroes during the Crusades as they were just slaughtering thousands. And these are the people we're supposed to be rooting for. Like, that's all not a great start, to be perfectly honest. It's all in the name of Jesus. So <laughs> we know what Cage is like with these religious films. Yeah. Matt, what did you think? I liked kind of how the only seasons in this film were the, the different seasons in which they were fighting in. Um, <laughs> is the kind of... You know, it was an interesting way of showing how battle hardened these veterans are. I guess in by having the fighting and all, it's almost like in in Mario. In Mario, you'll have a water level, a sand level, <laughs> like a, a jungle level. It was kind of a bit like that, really, like just mm. kind of shoehorning. How I thought at this point, hmm, they've obviously thrown a bit of money at this, so at least they're trying. We've got to give them props for trying, I guess. Mm, if nothing else. <laughs> During one battle, the Crusaders sack a castle, slaughtering unarmed men, women and children. Cage and Pearlman only realise once it's too late. They turn on their priest, telling him that he doesn't hear the voice of God and they leave the Crusading army because they're good guys now? Question mark. They return home. They note that the sheep have no shepherds and find a family rotting of the Black Death. They've been dead a quite a long time by the looks of them because their flesh is rotting and decaying uh, the lads burn down the house and then move on to the next town when they arrive within the town walls they see people driven to the brink of insanity due to the plague ghost rider and hellboy are identified as being deserters after the priest identifies the sigil on cage's sword Cage was covering his face, but Perlman was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to walk around like nothing. <laughs> but it takes them to notify this tiny little symbol on someone's sword. Uh, they get taken to speak to some old gimp sat in a bed. It took me ages <laughs> to realise that that was Christopher Lee. Uh, they explain to Cage and Perlman that the plague has been brought onto the people by a witch. They then give the boys the exposition needed to rid the world of this plague. <laughs> Cajun Pearlman agree to escort a witch to her trial and can um yet they agree to take her to this trial to cancel the plague so long as that she gets a fair trial and their desertion trap fucking out a hard word. Their desertion charges are dropped. 
So that's 25 minutes in. I appreciate them showing us the opening. Like, mm-hmm. rather than just telling us that they're deserters, they showed us why they've become deserters. Uh, my initial fears that they painted the good the Crusaders as good guys were quickly put to rest, I felt, by that bit where they said, okay, no, we're not. They're actually the bad guys. It turned out that the Crusaders were like basically a bunch of sac- sanctimonious arseholes, which is kind of what they were re- in real life anyway. We got to see some witchy nonsense and the exposition dump. I-, I quite liked that opening scene with the hound and the priest getting mm. done in by the witch. Again, I thought that's quite a nice thing. It's all really basic, but like it's not awful for the opening 25. What did you pair think? Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> I'd agree. It's not, it's not pulling up trees, but at the same time, I've I'm I'm used to worse. <laughs> put it that way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So you know, I we we we're getting what we expect, I guess, at this point. Um, I I think you just know what's coming with it. It's, you know, this isn't. This isn't the end of Sixth Sense, is it? Really, we know exactly where this is going and what's going to happen with it. And mm. um, I don't. I, I think it's it's very aware of that <laughs> that it's painted by numbers. Very pleasantly surprised, really. I I didn't expect it to be as kind of dark as it started off with on the bridge. Mm. And then I mean, I'm amazed that. For such a small bridge, it was really deep water to get them all fully submerged. Every now to me, no shopping trolleys, I suppose, back back then. <laughs> but yeah, I like the bit where they, where at first they said no, we don't serve the church or mm. whatever it was, and so they went into the, the world's emptiest dungeon for for one night, and that changed their mind. Anything? Well, okay, we change your mind. You change your mind because. You've been treated okay, but there's a girl over there. Mm. And it's all a bit, okay, these are nice. And I know he's had a, a bit of a morality turn because they've just slaughtered loads of innocent people. But it, it was all a bit, okay. Is this the, this the reason there? You're just you're joining back with your cause just so you can escape, which would be, which would be funny and fine. But it's not. It's to kind of save a girl, which is all a bit, okay. Mm. Yeah, I'll get you. So after trying to plot out the map to get the witch to where they're going, Cageman, uh, Cageman, Perlman and Cage decide that they need a guide. And it's only bloody Stephen Gray. <laughs> Things are looking up for all of about five seconds until you realise he's doing an American accent. Or is he? Like, I can't quite figure out. I think we need to talk about the accents in this movie, if I'm perfectly honest. So we know, obviously, the Crusaders, they're all British people. It is, I think it's set in England because everybody else seems to be English. But Cage is doing something. Like, I, I can't even tell you what accent he's doing because he kind of puts on some kind of faux Shakespearean, <laughs> thou asked. Like, no one speaks like that or ever has. <laughs> Perlman isn't even fucking trying. Perlman is putting zero effort into his accent. He's just Ron Perlman. And Stephen Graham, who is English, he's doing the same accent he did as Anthony Provenzano from Scorsese's The Irishman. Like, what the fuck is going on here? I, I'm baffled by this. 
there is a, a weird train of thought that the American accent is closer to what English used to be, in a way, and that we here evolved into this excellence, and <laughs> they kind of kept what they what was exported over there. I've read this a few times, and it, it sounds in, insane, really. How yeah. why it had worked that way around, but which is all all fine if they had gone the full way and just uh, everyone is American, which would yeah. have been fine. And uh, okay, you've made making a point. You're going down this. It's like having dinosaurs with feathers. Is it right? Is it not? But it's not what you expect. And you expect a film like this set in the past, everyone to be English or at least try. Mm-hmm. And just having three of them sounding different. And it was just like, okay, the, the two knights sound like they sound American-ish because they're of a kind of higher status or whatever. Because it wasn't because there was other knights there who were English. <laughs> it just made no sense. It was just shit. <laughs> Matt, make it make sense, please. Well, Stephen Graham is because he's scouse, not English. So it's, <laughs> so it's absolutely fine, isn't it? Um, it's a strange one. I mean, I, I, I don't know if we know that Nick Cage has, apart from when he's really not bothered, he does have a determination to his craft to try and make it authentic, if at all possible. <laughs> and I think that that might be his undoing in this, in that he's tried to put on this accent to make it more authentic and make it more of a, not a period piece, but just try and keep some form of acting chops in there. <laughs> but it's just not the time or the place. Like, I'd like to, I would, I don't know why this thought came into my head, but I'd have loved to have been in the room when Nick Cage found out his co-lead was going to be Ron Perlman. <laughs> and I wonder if he went... Oh, fucking Ron Perlman. Or if we went, oh, Ron Perlman. I'd love to have known like, what his reaction would have been. Mm, definitely. So the lads have now built their team. We've got a priest, a man to steer the horses, the witch who is held captive by this priest, uh, the guide in Stephen Graham, and then obviously we've got Ghost Rider and Hellboy themselves. And they've got some, some fucking gimmer who's just followed them <laughs> because... That's what these films need, is just a stowaway to be there. I suppose it's a little bit like in Army of the Dead when Batista's daughter's just like, mm. well, I'm here now and y'all can fuck off. So <laughs> I suppose that's the trope they were going for. But like, it was just a little bit pointless, I felt, that one. This group is wiggy as fuck as well. Mm. Like, obviously, Cage's hair in this is incredible. It changes colour. Like he's, <laughs> he's quite blonde and then really dark brown. Ron Perlman just again doesn't seem to have bothered, and I am sure he's wearing gel in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole hair, makeup, costume—it all looks appalling in this movie. I thought. I think he went to um, he went to one of them them shops that still sell that stuff that we had in the nineties, the wet look things with the bubbles in. <laughs> <laughs> it was, wasn't it? It was just like the tub of brill cream that David Beckham was advertising back in the nineties. The witch manages to escape. She seems to act as though the preacher's diddled her, basically. She won't let him anywhere near her. She's very um, scared of his touch. Whilst attempting to find the witch, the lads happen upon a mass grave and the coach driver walks into the young boy's sword. He's delirious, thinking that he has seen his daughter. He doesn't even recognise this 
this young lad and doesn't see the sword there and ends up impaling himself. They manage to find the witch. She's crying, saying she couldn't let him touch her again. So again, we're getting this thing about the priest being a bad, bad man. On their journey, the team have to cross a jungle canyon rope vine bridge thing. They show the vines snapping as they're like stepping across it, trying to build up the tension. Like, And as they get there, just before they manage to get to the very end, it completely gives way. But somehow, a bit like in when we did our Fast 9 review, Stu, they somehow <laughs> managed to like ride that little bit of the uh, <laughs> the bridge to get there, even though there was nothing supporting it. Uh, before that happened, the young boy falls off the bridge, but the witch grabs him and lifts him quite easily with just one hand. The gang arrive in Wormwood Forest. This sends them all a little bit crazy. But to be honest, not much really happens here. Mm. We're told at the beginning that Wormwood Forest is the place where people lose their minds. And we get there and they just see a wolf. And that was pretty much it. I was expecting it, I was expecting it to be a little more um, supernatural. Mm. I thought this or... was going to be the meat of the film, if I'm honest, but that wasn't but much. It's, it's scarier down rough wood <laughs> than than this. It was just a, it was just some trees with a bit of mist. That's all it was. Yeah. And then, I wonder. I was, if... it, it's like budget. Budget reasons, or something. They just oh well, there's some trees over there. Let's put the, put the lights down, make it a bit scarier. Mm. This is a missed opportunity. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> the team arrive at their destination. All of the monks are dead of the plague. The priest begins to lose his faith a little here, seeing all of the death around him. He assumes that God has abandoned them. Cage puts on a super English accent for the very first time. And probably the only time in this movie. The team find the Book of MacGuffin, which is basically the spell book to defeat evil, and now decide that now is the time to give the witch her trial. Except she seems to know things that she shouldn't. The priest realises that she is no witch but a demon. I assume that's what it was, because it's never really explained until after this point. I Mm. think we're just supposed to guess that she's a demon. Like it's the it's same one. Clear. It's the same as the. It's the same picture, basically, as the guy at the start when he looks through the book. Mm. That's the only way that we know that the, the two are linked. And it was really poor. I thought that because I was like, oh, it, it just makes you realise that we're just not setting your expectations. It's not really what I mean, but it's like, oh, okay, it's the thing from the start. But it's just lazy, that. It's lazy. There's no explanation of what's going on. I want backstory. When I'm when we're talking about the supernatural, I want to know. I want to know. I'm genuinely interested in the mythology and stuff with these kind of things. Yeah. And I just would like a little bit more just to reel me in. Mm, I didn't want to do that at all, did it? No, Kept you at arm's all. length, if anything. At this point, Cage knights the young boy. The demon attempts to destroy the book so that nothing can stop her powers. She heads to a room where the monks are making copies of the book. The demon is now outside of the witch's body and it's become a really, really shitty looking CG mess with wings. <laughs> it looks terrible. I mean, I know it's 10 years ago, but we've seen better CGI in the 90s than this. This was awful. What's the name of the... Um... The things in Doctor Who, the 
stone angels, whoever they are. Well, the weeping angels. Is that when you close your eyes, they come closer to you? Yeah. yeah. Now, that's always been the benchmark for me of really bad special effects and CGI. And they're better than this <laughs> than this monstrosity that we get in Season of the Witch. Well, it, it's got more in common with the um, adipose monsters than, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it has. than the weeping angels. It's just fucking awful. It's you. You'd get better CGI in games of ten years ago than this. Mm, really? And I, I know it, it's not really a. No, this, that, I'm not even going to defend it. There's no excuse at all. I mean, it, up until here, it was probably round about a four or a five, and then that thing appeared. I thought, well, you just not not bothered, have you? There's no, mm. there's literally no point because it it's now just took it completely out of it and it. You know, I'm, I'm tempted to say it's worse than the Scorpion King. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Scorpion King's bad, but they're trying to render an actual human being, which for 2002, was it? 2001, maybe? Like, that that's a tricky thing to do then. And we've gone on 10 years, and, and this looks dreadful. This is really piss poor. The dead monks then get possessed and our heroes have to decapitate them. One monk manages to stab Cage's eye. Another stabs Hellboy, who is then burnt. The demon breaks the priest's neck, so we're down to the final few. Cage manages to pin down the demon whilst the young boy reads the exorcism. Explosions and nonsense goes off all around him. <laughs> and that's the end of the fight sequence. Cage, the young boy, and the de-witched witch manage to bury their friends. Cage tells the young boy to look after the witch. They ride off together talking about what happens. And for the first time in this fucking movie, we get voiceover narration from the witch. (laughs) We didn't get that through any of the rest of this film. Why the hell did they bring this in right at the very end? Strange fucking film. But that's the end of the movie anyway. (laughs) So... You've both mentioned the budget on this film. What do you think, as a benchmark of Cage films we've seen, where do you think this is going to fall? Are we going to go with high, mid, low? It's got to be higher, isn't it? Just because of the cast and, you know, the scale of some of the fight scenes, especially in that montage. And, yeah, I'd say it's got to be high-ish. I've gone the other way now, thinking about it. Because you're talking ten years ago, Stephen Graham, relative unknown, in for mm-hmm. a big, an American finance film. Christopher Lee's what a minute, two minutes screen time in yeah. lying in a bed with a bit of with a bit of fungus on his face, probably a day's work. <laughs> so it's not really all his capital to be. And then you look at the state of things and. I mean, the, the, why the wolves had to turn into other wolves? <laughs> <laughs> the, the CGI on that, on that was pretty bad. But then you got in Scorpion King-esque nonsense of the demon at the end. The effects were awful. The costumes were shit. And the, 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 the big star, one wasn't a star, and the other one probably had a day's work. So it wouldn't surprise me if it's actually around about like 15, 20 million. So, it was $40 million. (laughs) Put into context, is the same budget as The Wicker Man. 
the Nick Cage Wicker Man, that is not the original. Like, I, I don't understand where that money's been spent, if I'm honest. that That's a healthy paycheck for this movie, and I, I don't think it translated all that well to the screen, if I'm perfectly mm. honest. So the box office returns, and I cannot believe I'm about to give you this number. It made $91.6 million worldwide. What a success. Yeah, I mean, it, it more than doubled its budget. That is a roaring success by any measure. That is incredible. Like, I fully expected this was going to come in around 20 to 30 million. Like, we're in 2011. Lord of the Rings was a long time ago at this point. Who is watching this shit? Baffled by this one. Well, you say who's watching it, but you still had Game of Thrones riding high and the whole fantasy thing was still mm. there. Game of Thrones just started. Yeah, I th- actually, I think Game of Thrones started after this film came out. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Game of Thrones was a, a TV version of this. Mm. You had things like um, you know, Troy and stuff like that after Lord of the Rings God. and other kind of and Beowulf and all kind of fantasy bollocks, just trying to jump on the back of it. So this was towards the end of it being in films. I agree with that. But mm. then you had Lord of the Rings in TV. So with fantasy never really died, it just shifted. So, mm. I mean, and the, the trick, maybe because I was just by the poster, it looked intriguing. And it was nothing mm. of the sort. <laughs> I mean, where was this in Ron Perlman's? I mean, this is like pretty much smack bang in the middle of Sons of Anarchy. So he'd be riding a crest of a wave of that. Um, so I wonder, in comparison to like Hellboy and, and other things, I wonder where it is. I wonder if he's... So Hellboy was 2004, Hellboy 2, 2008. Yep, so um, this is 2011, so it would have been... A couple of years after. Yeah, a few years after. I mean, he's got a lot of work, but not much I've seen, mm. especially in this period of time. Yeah, I mean, Sons of Anarchy started 2010, I think, looking at this. Maybe even earlier than eight, that. Eight, I think. Was it eight? So, I mean... He wasn't in this film a massive amount, so it might just be that he was filming uh, Sons of Anarchy and needed something to keep him ticking over during the off-season, maybe. Mm. There's not a, a fat loss of interest. Yeah, 2008 to 2013. So it was bang in the middle of his run on that. So, yeah, that, that could be an explanation for Aston I like how uh, Ron Perlman on IMDb is described as a classically trained actor. Who has appeared in countless stage plays, apparently. Oh my god, I would I'd love to see you on the stage just to see what the fuck would happen. <laughs> Incredible. So before I give you the scores, guess what you think they'll be. Matt? Uh I mean the critics have got to slam it, absolutely slam it. Um so that's gotta be about twenty percent. Um I'd say the critic, uh, the fan, because of its success, uh, it's probably higher to like 65, 70. I reckon there's going to be a huge swing between critic and fan on this one. Stu, what do you think? Critic's about 15. <laughs> I, can't, I can't see any anyone saying anything nice about it from a kind of, from a, a properly trained eye. Because what is that? There's nothing. I mean, audience, just because it made so much money doesn't mean people liked it, though. 
it, mm. it could go the complete opposite way. There's so many people watch this bollocks in the, on opening weekend. Absolutely hated it, and that's why it stayed where it did. So I want to go about four, about four forty, something like that okay. for our audience. So on IMDb, it got a five point four. The Metacritic was a twenty-eight. So Rotten Tomatoes audience score was thirty percent. So three out of ten people enjoyed it. The critical score was eleven <laughs> percent. The the only positive review I could find from the critics was from Robbie Collin, who, to be honest, he's just fucking awful critic. So I hold like nothing but contempt for his reviews in general. So take that what you will. Most of them obviously were hugely negative. James Berardinelli from Real Views just went in on Cage. Cage is effective as a falling down drunk in Las- leaving Las Vegas or a treasure hunter navigating goofy road trips, but not as a disillusioned champion of the church going one-on-one with a demon. Steven Seagal would have been more believable. <laughs> uh, he wasn't the only one. Joe Neumeyer from the New York Daily News, rather than elevating this wannabe hammer horror flick, Cage somehow lowers its quality. Peter Travers from Rolling Stone just flat out hated this movie. Season of the Witch is as bloodless as a starving vampire. Instead of, <laughs> instead of a review, it deserves a stake in the heart. And Stephen Whitty from the Newark Ledger, really, at its worst, the whole thing is a little bit like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, minus the jokes. The fan response, there were some people who liked it from amazon.com this film had a 4.5 out of 5 (laughs) with a staggering 90% of reviews being 4 or 5 stars (laughs) 90 fucking percent (laughs) so Neil from the UK he said I've come to learn not to trust the critics views they thought little of this film although we did okay at the box office I thought this film was great even when not a lot was happening, you could enjoy the mood and atmosphere growing and the sets and costumes look very authentic. I was also impressed with the gritty realism. The gritty realism about a film about witches and demons in the 14th century. What the fuck is this guy talking about? (laughs) Happy Jude said, a very dark and brooding film. Nicolas Cage is very good in this. Has a nice twist at the end too. Where was the brooding? Where was the twist? Mm. Like, is the twist that the witch was a demon? Because that's not really a twist, is it? Not really, anyway. And Study Queen, who titled her review, Cage at one of his best performances. Oh, Lord. Yeah. This is a typical good against evil, but with a twist. Cage is brilliant as the main character, and the film has a really good story to it. Only thing I found was that sometimes the camera swings and bounces, which made me feel a little seasick. But this is a good film, and if you like the old Lord of the Rings, Throne of Swords type, with the added interest of good versus evil, then this is your film. Incredible. So, Matthew, give us your good, bad and crazy, please. So, the good for me... um... (laughs) It's a tough one, really. I'll put the, the, um, the performance of the witch... I forget her name. Apologies. Um, Claire Foy. Claire Foy. Um, 
was about the best of a bad bunch when she te- teases that she's good, teases that she's evil, teases a little twist here and there that she's, you know, all isn't quite what it seems. It's probably the only thing that kept any kind of interest in wanting to carry. I mean, if, if I hadn't doing it for this labour of love, I definitely would have like stopped watching this if it was like, if I was watching it on telly or something mm. like that. Um, but she's the only thing that kept it kind of going in a way it was was kind of her performance and what she was bringing to the to the plot, I guess. What? Plot? Um, well, yeah, yeah, or <laughs> lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad, and I mentioned, I, I text you, um, Andy. This was it ninety minutes or was it nine hours? I couldn't yeah. tell the difference between like this was a, this was very much a pause. How much longer have I got left? Okay, let's carry on. It it, it slogged. It really slogged. Mm. Um, and it's not the longest runtime of anything that we've watched um, by by quite a bit, but it felt it, it felt mm. every bit of it. Um, the crazy is the use of like Americanisms by what are meant to be English. Um, we assume to be English characters. So well, the, the what the first one I noticed was Ron Perlman said, "Let's get the hell out of here." And yeah. it just felt so out of place. Yeah. I, I, I have like, a note in, in my bit. He says shit as well, which just uh, seems so weird. And not in like a partridge shit kind of way. Just like a... <laughs> yeah. It just... The the sheer lack of effort on on Perlman's part. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I almost respect Cage for giving it a bit of a go. Mm. Whereas I just thought the Americanisms of it was really strange. Like either go all the way and not try and do any kind of realism about it and just make it a story with American accented actors and, and then have that or actually be responsible and try and build a world that is almost semi-believable that you're even in the country that you're meant to be in. Mm. Totally fair, mate. Stu, what's yours? I mean... The- the good was the fact that it was ninety-seven minutes long. <laughs> that was that was it. Like, and I'll, I'll fit it in between um, work and school run in the morning. Just but uh, oh well, let's try. It. And I'd got it all proper, and it wouldn't even work on um, projectors. It, it wouldn't <laughs> work through my PS4. Didn't recognise it as a file. <laughs> so I thought, well, try to warn you. Yeah, this is a great sign. So even even we're pissing a bit with that, and then I'll put it on, put it on through the uh, through other consoles, and I still had time to to do other things. That was probably the best thing about it. I mean, the bad it's fucking everything else. It's just it's just insulting and in it's just a waste of time. Mm. It's that's a, the accents that we already mentioned didn't make any sense. The costumes. Well, like out of a Mr. Ben cartoon, <laughs> the, the whole wood thing. I mean, you think of things like Lord of the Rings, where everything's absolutely spot on. And again, they didn't spend a, a massive amount of money, comparatively, really, at the time. I know Weta was a kind of like indie um, effects studio at the time, but even so, you think of them three films, and you kind of think of the set pieces. In this, the set pieces is what. There's the the bridge, mm. the wolves, the monks, and then the CGI demon. That's four things. Four things in an hour and a half film. 
and every single one of them's wank. <laughs> every single one. <laughs> and you look yeah. at these. Oh, the whole jeopardy of the bridge thing was just like you said a little bit like Fast Nine, with just nonsense. Mm. And I know we we kind of been overly critical because if this is. It's almost like a B movie, but it's not. Re- it's not marketed as a B movie. It's marketed no. as a as a proper film. It's got a proper budget and it made a proper box office. Yeah. So it's not a B movie. You are right. It's it's just really bad. <laughs> and, I mean, it, I know I've said it quite a few. It's obviously not going to beat next. Let's not, let's not be the silly. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't even think it's going to be troubling the bottom five either because it's just not. It's not bad enough to go there. Yeah. It's just annoying. Yeah, I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Mm. It's just, it's, just, it's utterly forgettable, isn't it? This. Yeah, it's mm. a bit like that. What, what was the um, like? Pay the ghost. It's just well, okay. Yeah, God, that. So it, it's you can't you can't really say. And we can absolutely destroy it because wasted talents of making Stephen Graham do that. Mm. Obviously, he's got paid handsomely for it, but it's just a waste of just. There's something there. There's an idea there somewhere, but every step of the way, it's just badly executed. Lost. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the idea every, is lost in this totally. I mean, you've got to mix that in with the crazy because there's so there's so many like blatant copies of Lord of the Rings. It's like <laughs> tracking shots and things like that of. With a bit of mountain behind them and things like that, like they're on a proper journey as a fellowship, and mm. you think, "Oh, come on, let's let's play the game." Here. You you could, we know what you're doing. You don't. Not every fantasy film has to have tracking shots and things like this with operatic music on, and we know what you're trying to trying to copy in half the time of one of them films. It's just bollocks. <laughs> That's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my good, you know what? After having said everything negative about Ron Perlman, I really want to see Ron Perlman and Nick Cage in a film together again. Like, I don't have either of you two seen The Good Guys with um, yeah, 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 Russell Crowe and yeah, yeah. Gosling. I want to see like a black comedy, yeah, yeah, with these absolutely. two as like buddy cops who kind of hate each <laughs> other. I think they'd work really well together. Give me, I'd, give me. Give me Bad Lieutenant with Ron Perlman in yeah. as well. Yeah. And I'm all for that. Like a motivated, yeah. Motivated <laughs> Ron Perlman and Nick Cage doing something that, like a good script, I think would be really interesting and really good fun. Um, obviously, this wasn't it, but like it, it's made me want to see it. So I think that's good. The other good thing, this is the last film we need to watch from 2011 <laughs> of Nick Cage. And it's also the last film that Dominic Cena has done. So we don't have to ever revisit any of his shite either. The bad, like you said, Stu, it's everything else. Like they needed to lean into the bollocks, I think. Like there was enough stupid shit that they just sort of glossed over and moved on. If they had really like hammed it up and really made it dumb, it could have at least been a so bad it's good kind of movie. But it wasn't. It was just, as you said, utterly forgettable. Like the fact that it was 90 minutes and we've got the Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones epics. I wonder if the studios thought that's what they were going to get. I, I don't quite know mm. what they were thinking of with this one. 
Um, but there was a lot of filler in this movie, and I feel there were so many people who were just utterly wasted. So Stephen Graham, barely any screen time. Claire Foy was good when she was on screen, but she wasn't on screen enough. And we had the Hound, we had Rory McCann right at the beginning of this film, just as Lord of the, uh, sorry, just as Game of Thrones is about to go, and he literally has one line in it, and they don't even spell his name right. They spell it M- <laughs> They spell McCann M A C, not M C for mm. Mac. Like, show the man a little bit of fucking respect. Awful. So the crazy for myself. This film was stuck in development hell for a long time. This script was originally passed by MGM in 2000. It took 11 years to get this film to screen, and this is what they gave us after 11 years. It was originally due to be released in March 2010, but the studio hated it so much they made them do some reshoots, pushed it back 12 months. These reshoots, they brought in Brett Ratner, who made the well one of the worst X-Men films, he hired his uh, like long-time collaborating editor just for the reshoots and ended up getting him to do the whole film. So this is the improved version of the film. Wow. Yeah, that's how bad this film. Like, could you imagine how shit the original must have been if this is what they gave us? Maybe oh, this yeah. is why his hair changes colour. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's the only thing I can think of is that they couldn't find the same wig, so we've got <clears> two <throat> different hair colours. Yeah. So did you enjoy this film, Stu? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but not in it. I'm, I'm never going to watch it again. Mm. Obviously, it's... Bro, I wasn't, like, Matt <laughs> checking that it was, like, 90 hours long or whatever. Because it was it was an, a kind of throwaway way to spend a, a Monday afternoon. It was just, okay. Mm. And I could have been watching two episodes of The Flash, which would have been better. But it was just, it, it was what it was. I didn't hate it, hate it. I didn't like it either. It was just there. So That's I can't, it's, it's kind of like a cop out saying, but there's no definitive answer because I don't know what it is. <laughs> That that's completely understandable, I think. Matt, tell me what you uh, think. I'm afraid not, and it, it doesn't have the it's so shit it's good quality to it. Mm. It's not good anyway, so it doesn't have that quality to it. It's utterly forgettable. It's somehow bloated as a film, even though it doesn't have anything going on. It's bloated yet anorexic at the same time. <laughs> like I don't know how to describe it. It's just it's just dreadful, bloody dreadful, and I'm like. It's a shame because the world it's set in and the supernatural element of it and the that kind of stuff is right up my street as well. So maybe that maybe that feels like the biggest betrayal mm. is that it, you know it could have been good, yeah. But it wasn't. I mean, you've said pretty much everything that I've gotten written down here. Like for a sub one hundred minute film, it shouldn't feel longer than Endgame, and it, <laughs> it does. Mm. It felt like every minute and then some. It didn't have any real redeeming features, this movie, for me. We've seen this story before. It's nothing new. The CGI was terrible. The acting was subpar. The script was shoddy. The direction was non-existent. And as she said, it's not bad enough to be so bad it's good, which is the worst thing about it. Because at least if it was, you could have had a laugh about it. Mm. Instead, it was just forgettable. Um, Based on this film and this film alone... Was Cage good or was Cage bad? Matt? 
afraid not, Nicholas. Um, I appreciate your effort, and I think you put more time and effort in than others in this production, but you can put lipstick on a pig. Maybe mm. a pretty pig, but it's still a pig. Yeah, I've got that. He sort of looked bored. I feel <laughs> like he gave up halfway through because I do feel like he tried. He took horse riding lessons and sword fighting lessons in preparation for this film, which it's kind of cool that he's done that. But I don't see anything in this film that needed those lessons to be taken. Mm. All he's done is padded out his resume for the next film, really, I think. So it's a bad from me as well. Stu? Yeah, you look at the... And he's the best part of this film, and that's not saying anything, is it? Mm. And yeah, it's obviously it's obviously now because it it could have been it could have been Steven Seagal easily. Yeah, it could have been it could have been any one of them. Kind of, it could have been Van Damme. It could have, it, it, put Van Damme in this it would have been even better. But to be fair, like you said, for him to do that and something that we didn't see until. <laughs> where he's uh, doing this kind of thing. Fair play to him. At least he tried, and he looked like he could be asked for for bits of it. But like, you got the um, the sort of fight between Ron Perlman and the uh, the baby gimp in the in the the clearing in the forest, which is like, oh, okay, these people have never held a sword in their lives. What's going on here? <laughs> it's just oh, let's just kind of tap each other with twigs. It might as well have just done that, but mm. yeah. He's not. Nah, it's it's on the bad side. He, he he wouldn't get work after this if it was his first film. <laughs> so I've got another Cage question for you before we move on. Cage had five films released in two thousand and eleven: Season of the Witch, Drive Angry, Seeking Justice, Trespass, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. If you've got to recommend one of those five films, which film are you telling folks to watch, Stu? Drive angry, hundred percent. Not even close. <laughs> That's fair. I enjoyed drive angry. Uh, Matt, what about you? Same. Drive angry. Crack open a few beers. Do a line beforehand. You'll have a whale of a time. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've I've gone with seeking justice because I think that would probably have the wider appeal. Mm-hmm. I prefer Drive Angry. I think it's a much more fun movie. But I love schlocky B movies like that. Um, but I think um, Seeking Justice, I think, would probably appeal to more folks than Drive Angry. That's mm-hmm. the reason I'm leaning that side of things personally. But, I mean, none of these ones were particularly great films. Like, none are anywhere near my top five, ultimately, I think, on this one. Uh, but I need you now to finish the sentence. If you enjoyed Season of the Witch, you might also like. Stu? The Witcher on Netflix. Oh, the one with Superman. Yeah. I haven't seen that. It's good. Yeah, it's weird though. Uh, look up. It's not. It's It's one of them things where it's all George Lucas for, just for the sake of it, where the episodes are not in chronological order. Oh, that sounds annoying. Right, okay. Yeah, it really is annoying. And unless you've played the games or read the books you wouldn't have a fucking idea what was going on. So look up the proper way to watch it and then watch it that way. Right, okay, fair enough. But even that, even watching it out of order with no kind of knowledge would be better than this. <laughs> Matt, what about you? Um, first of all, The Witcher, 
um, has uh, Anya Chalotra, who was from good old Wolverhampton. She was uh, from Lower Penn. Go on. Yeah, go on, gal. Um, for me, Stu mentioned it earlier, it would be Beowulf. Beowulf, I pronounced that right? Mm. Um, not spectacular, but for a 3D, I, I don't know what the exact term is, but like a 3D um, animated rendering. ensemble. Yeah, rendering, 3D rendering. Yeah, let's go with that. Um, it, it was something I hadn't really seen before and actually really enjoyed. But again, like I've mentioned before, I'm really into like Norse mythology, Greek mythology, stuff like that. And I think they did a really good job of it. And it's got a pretty stellar cast as well. Um, and it's just, if you like that world and were disappointed with what you got from Season of the Witch, give Beowulf a, Beowulf a go. And um, you may tick a few more of the boxes that you you know, you know enjoy from that those kind of worlds. Hmm. Um, I've got a book, well, two books and a film. If you like the mythology side of things, I was going to say Stephen Fry did myths and heroes books they're really yeah, interesting I've, I've, I've listened to nearly all of those audiobook series they're mm. really really good and steam fry is so good at yeah you know he's so listenable mm. so i've really... not listened to the audiobooks but I've, I've read them and yeah yeah he just writes in a way that you can understand like mm-hmm. you know a, a pleb it's very easy to get into it's really well done uh, the film that i was going to recommend is hansel and gretel witch hunters <laughs> it is dumb ass rocks. Oh, like yeah, it, yeah. it proper leans into the bollocks, which this film didn't. And I think it's all the better for embracing the nonsense of it all. It's sort of steampunkish, maybe. Um, it's not often I'd recommend a Jeremy Renner film at all, but I, I do love Gemma Arterton and Famke Janssen. And also Peter Stormare is in it, and he's always crazy fun. So mm-hmm. that, that's the one for me. Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. So, thankfully, we are finally done with 2011, as we have now watched this monstrosity. If you've seen this film or anything else we've discussed, drop us an email, and that's cagefightingpod at gmail.com, or get in contact on the Twitter at cagefightingpod. Um, Obviously, as you're listening to us now, please make sure you've subscribed on whatever podcatcher you use. Whilst you're subscribing, we would really appreciate a review. It just helps us out massively. And of course, tell your friends what you're listening to. We would hugely appreciate it. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take care, everybody. Look after yourselves. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? We're going to need more holy water. (laughs) And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other.